The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. John chapter 16. Let's open our Bibles or your apps to John chapter 16 as we continue our study in John's Gospel. We're quickly moving to the end of our study of John. We'll be here through Thanksgiving and uh, then we'll take a break for the holidays and then a new direction after the first of the year. Let's pray. Father, as we open the word, we pray that you would teach us. You have allowed us to worship in song, worship around the table, uh, listen to this ministry that uh, has impacted so many lives. And now we ask you, Holy Spirit, to guide us into truth. You tell us in John that you guide us into truth. Would you guide us into truth as we look at the word today? In Christ's name, amen. Your football team got demolished yesterday, so there's some sorrow. Uh, you picked the wrong winner on The Voice, and you've got some sorrow. Uh, Listeria shut Bluebell down for months. I had a lot of sorrow. <laughs> sorrow barges in to our lives through many doors. It may be the door of death, the door of disappointment, the door of divorce, the door of disease, the door of disaster. Sorrow tends to barge in at the most inopportune times and stays as an unwelcome guest. It may be cancer in the body, it may be a pain in the heart, it may be a child in rehab, it may be red ink on the ledger, it may be felony on the record, it may be a craving for whiskey in the middle of the night, it may be the tears that flow in the middle of the day. Sorrow. The disciples had a reason to be sorrowful. Christ has looked at them and he said, guys, I'm gone away and you can't come. Not only that, but one of you are going to betray me and that's Peter. Not only that, but one of you can deny me, and, or one of you can deny me, that's Peter, one of you can betray me, and that's Judas. And not only that, but you're, if the world hated me, it's going to hurt you. And not only that, uh, not only is the world going to hate you as it hated me, but also I want you to know you're going to get kicked out of the synagogues. And by the way, not only that, you're going to die. And they went, yippee, what a great time to follow Christ. Do you understand why they had sorrow and pain? I mean, he just laid this on him. He said, uh, hey, if you're going to follow me, these are the things that are going to happen. And, and it's going to be a painful time. It's going to be a difficult time. And you're going to struggle with this. And you're going to lament over it. And you're going to be sorrowful. But don't give up. In fact, in John chapter 16, if you drop down to verse 20, and I'll pop it up on the screen, Jesus says this to the disciples. He said, uh, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but, and the world will rejoice. You will have grief, but your grief will be turned into joy. So he looks at them and says, hey, you're going to lament, and you're going to be sorrowful, and there's going to be great pain in your heart, but I want you to know, even though the world rejoices over this, I want you to know one day that grief, that pain, that sorrow will be turned to joy. Some of you walked into TBC this morning and you're in pain. It's the pain of a fractured family, the pain of a fractured life, the pain of a fractured relationship, the pain of a, a job that you can't stand or there's more month than there is money and you're pulling your hair out if you have any to, because you're not sure how you're going to make ends meet. It's a painful, sorrowful time. It's a hurtful time. And that's who Jesus is addressing today. So if you're on cloud nine and doing well, you can take a nap and tune in at the end of the sermon. How's that? But if you've got any pain in your life at all right now, the scripture is speaking to you. Any pain whatsoever, the scripture is going to speak to you. Well, it begins with the confusion of the disciples. Actually, verses 16 through 19 are pretty humorous when you read them. I mean, when you read these verses, you almost want to bust out laughing. It, it, the disciples are struggling to understand what Jesus is saying. It's kind of like uh, uh, having kids and explaining, uh, do you understand this? Yeah, I understand. Do you understand this? Yeah, I understand. They didn't understand. 
If you go to verse 16, it says, a little while, and you will know, Jesus is speaking, you will no longer behold me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples therefore said to one another, huh? Not exactly what they said, but that is what they meant, right? I mean, look at verse 17. What is this thing he's telling us? A little while and you will not behold me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because they go to the Father. So the disciples are scratching their collective heads saying, we don't get it, Jesus. We don't understand what you're saying. Now, they're having an off-the-record discussion. Jesus is not right in their midst at that time. He's standing to the side. We'll see that in a second. And he figures out that they're having a trouble understanding what he's doing. When our kids were at home, I would say, uh, money does not grow on trees. You understand that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Your curfew's at midnight. You understand that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you need to pick up stuff in your room. You understand that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you understand all that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Did you do all that? Uh-uh. 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 That's where the disciples are. I mean, Jesus said, hey, in a little while, you, I'm no longer, you no longer behold me. Now, we're looking back, we know that's the crucifixion. He was going to die, but then he says in verse 16, in a little while, you will see me again. That's the resurrection, right? We're looking back there in the midst of it, not knowing what was ahead. And so Jesus says, hey, in a little while, you're not going to see me. He's going to be crucified. A little while longer, you're going to see me again. That's the resurrection. Disciples understand. So in verse 18, they're saying to one another, what is this? He says, a little while. We do not know what he's talking about. We do not understand. We're looking at him, we're nodding, uh-huh, 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 as he speaks. When we turned his head, we're going, uh-uh, 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 we don't get it. And so Jesus knew that they wished to question him, verse 19. He said to them, are you deliberating about this? And they go, uh-uh, uh-uh, we get it. You deliberating about this? A little while and you will not behold me, and again a little while you'll truly see me? Uh-huh, Jesus, we really are. We do not get it. We don't understand. Now, if I were Jesus at this time, I would be thoroughly discouraged. If I were mentoring, if I had just spent three years mentoring guys and I had just told them five times in the previous three chapters I'm leaving and I'm coming back and they still didn't get it, I'd be, I, I, I would be beside myself. I, I mean, I'd be thinking, and these are the guys that I'm going to leave the hands of the gospel and to take to the world. Right. It's going to fall right there. I mean, there's no hope here. These guys don't understand something I've told them five times. They don't get the very basic stuff. It's right here. They don't understand the most basic thing. I've told them in plain language that I'm going to die, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to come back. And I, I don't know, Jesus was the most patient man in the world. You know, when, when I look at these guys, one of the truths that uh, is revealed from Genesis to Revelation is God uses imperfect, broken people to accomplish his purposes. I mean, these guys are imperfect. They don't comprehend the most basic thing. And I say, praise God for that. He can use people like you and people like me to accomplish his purposes. He's not looking for superstars. He's not looking for super saints. He's not looking for famous people. In fact, Jesus said, um, well done, good and famous servant, right? Is that what he said? What did he say? Well done, good and what was it? Faithful servant. <clears throat> and so he's looking for faithful men and women. I mean, these guys just don't get it. Years ago, I had a friend who looked at me and said, Gary, God's looking for fat men. I said, well, I qualify. <laughs> yeah, no, no, seriously, Gary, God's looking for fat men. I said, what do you mean, fat men? And he said, he's looking for men who are faithful, available, and teachable, fat guys. 
And I thought about that and thought, he's right. He's right. So I've been praying for God to make me fat, and he's done it. Yeah. but, But that's what God wants from us. All he's looking for, he's not looking for superstars, not looking for super saints. He's looking for faithful, available, teachable men and women. That's all these guys were. They didn't get the most basic stuff. But Jesus didn't give up on them. He didn't say, ah, I'm going to cast them aside and start with somebody else. I need more educated. I need more respected people. I need more. No, he took the men that he chose and he built into their lives in spite of their, indefici- their, their indeficiencies and inabilities to even get that. And so what happened to these guys? They turned the world upside down. These guys that don't say the most basic thing, within months, would turn the world upside down because they were faithful, available, teachable, and they saw the resurrected Savior. So here's how I want you to start praying this week. God, make me a fat person. Make me a fat woman. Make me a fat man. A faithful, available, teachable man or woman. That's what God wants from us. That's what he desires from us. That's what he wants. So, So Jesus comforts them next. They're confused. So in our confusion, Jesus comes along and he comforts us. He comforts the disciples. First of all, he promises them joy. If verse 20, we read a little earlier, truly, truly, I, amen, amen, is literally what it says. I, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. What are they going to weep and lament over? This is the night before the crucifixion. They are going to weep and lament because they're going to see the lifeless body of the Savior stapled to a piece of timber. They're going to weep and they're going to lament because they would have deserted him. They're going to weep and, weep, weep and lament because everything they thought would happen is not going to happen. They thought he would usher in the kingdom. They thought for sure this would happen. They would be a part of it. <clears throat> they would have a role in that. But he said, uh, you're going to weep and lament. You're going to be sorrowful. The world's going to rejoice, but that sorrow is going to turn to joy one day. That sorrow is going to turn to joy. It would turn to joy three days later when he would be resurrected from the grave. It would be, it would be, it would, the joy would return because this is what happened. The promise indeed was there's going to be weeping and lamenting when crucifixion took place, but there's going to be joy when the Savior comes alive. So, Jesus says, let me give you a parable. So guys, there's le- weeping and sorrow and lamenting now, but joy is going to come. And look at verse 21. Ladies, this is your verse. This is your verse. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has sorrow. Can I get an amen? Ladies, that was a weak amen. Y'all don't remember the pain of childbirth? It says, when a woman is in labor, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives, when her hour, but when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more. One of the commentators said, you can tell a man said that, a man said that, right? She remembers the anguish no more. Maybe you remember a little bit of it, right, ladies? She doesn't remember anymore. Why? Because a child has been born into the world. There's rejoicing. Was it painful to get there? You bet it was. It would be painful for the Savior to get there? You bet it was. One author says this, for months this baby has brought you pain. She or he made you break out in pimples and waddle like a duck. You craved enchiladas at midnight and threw them up in the morning. <laughs> she punched you in the tummy. She occupied space that wasn't hers. She ate food she didn't fix. You kept her warm. You kept her safe. You kept her fed. But did she say thank you one time? 
Are you kidding? She's no more out of the womb. She starts to cry. The room is too cold. The blanket is too rough. And who does she want? She wants her mom. Don't you ever get a break? I mean, you've been doing all the work for the last nine months. She didn't even tell you she was coming. She just came. And what a coming it was. She rendered you a barbarian. You screamed. You bit bullets. Your eyes looked like bullets as they stared at your husband. <laughs> you, you had backache. You had he- your, your back aches. Your head is pounding. Your body's drenched in sweat. Every muscle is strained and stretched. You should be angry, but are you? You're far from it. When you first look at those little eyes, that grin will never come off your face. And there's a love bond that is built in that moment forever. You love her, you treasure her, you talk about how beautiful she is, you're absolutely crazy about her, and you forget the pain and anguish till you're pregnant again. (laughs) What a great analogy, isn't it? He said, you're going to go through all this pain, but on the end of it is going to be this great joy. And he's telling disciples, you're going to go through a lot of pain. You're going to lament and you're going to be sorrowful, but on the other end is great joy because I will overcome sin and death because I'm going to be resurrected, because I'm going to be alive again. And because of that, the pain and lamenting and all the sorrow will be well worth it. All you're going to remember is not the labor, you're going to remember the baby. And Jesus uses this picture to say, you have sorrow, but the joy will come back. In uh, Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, his anger is but for a moment, his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes when? In the morning. Joy comes in the morning. We have had uh, seven people from TBC go to glory in the last about nine weeks. And grief is a strange animal. It's a proper time to grieve proper time for spouses and kids and grandkids to go through grief. But here's a great reminder to us. Weeping will come at the night, but joy comes in the morning. And there's a time to mourn, but that morning will be turned into joy eventually. One of our favorite verses is a family we adopted when I was uh, diagnosed with this disease a number of years ago, five years ago. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit in the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food. Though there be no cattle, no, the flock should be cut off from the, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He's saying, no matter how deep the despair, no matter how difficult and deep the depths of your pain are, you can rejoice in God because joy is not an emotion. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. Happiness is emotion. Joy comes from focusing upon Christ and not our circumstances. And he says, you may be in the worst position you've ever been in, but joy comes in the morning. And you may go through the most difficult times, but you can rejoice because you have a God, a God who will provide for you. My favorite author wrote a book called Return to Joy. (laughs) I get to sleep with it every night. It's a great deal. And uh, in that book, though, when Bev traces her personal journey, if you've read it, if you haven't, it's worth picking up. And she traces her personal journey and talks about returning to joy through worshiping the Savior. And that's what he desires for each of us to experience and to do. The promise of joy. Some of you are joyless right now, gone through tough stuff. Tears flow freely. Your heart is in pain. It's broken. I want you to know this morning that the hope that the Savior gives you is that one day 
one day joy will come back. One day you can, you can rejoice in spite of what you're going through. Well, the disciples respond in belief. It's a great story. If you go down to verse 20, 22, before we see the response, he says to them, uh, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one takes your joy away from you. He says your joy won't be stolen. And then he says, in that day, you will ask, no, ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You see, people didn't pray in the name of Jesus in the Old Testament. They, they, they didn't even know that name. And when the disciples of Jesus, he was physically present. They didn't pray to him in the name of Jesus. I ask you, but ever since the ascension, we have prayed in the name of Jesus, haven't we? That's what he says. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the power of the Spirit. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the power of the Spirit. He said, there's going to be a day when I leave and you're going to pray in my name. You're going to ask because all power is there. And the Father still loves you. That's what he says in the next few verses. The Father still loves you. And they respond in believing. To drop down to verse 30, he says, now we know that you know all things and have no question for, we have no need to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus, we get it. Finally, you're speaking plainly. We understand you've come from God. You're going to die. You're going to be resurrected. Our sorrow will be turned to joy. We get it. We believe. By the way, this is the fourth time in John's gospel they've come forth and said, we believe. And they're struggling with this. They're struggling with this. In fact, Jesus turns to them and his response, we may scratch our heads over. He says, do you believe now? You believe now? Do you really? And he says, uh, an hour's coming. In fact, that hour's at hand. And you're going to be scattered. You go back to your home and leave me alone. He says, uh, in my darkest hour, you're going to go AWOL. In a few hours, when I need you the most, you're not going to be there. In just a little while, and literally it's just hours away, when I am in the depths of despair, you're going to head home when I head to hell. Peter talks about him preaching to the imprisoned spirits. The Apostles' Creed talks about him descending. And he says, you're headed home, I'm headed to hell. I need you right now, but you're going to go AWOL. You believe, but the depth of your belief you don't understand yet. It's still lacking still lacking. When I look at that, a couple of things go through my mind. First of all, I recognize that even strong men become weak. These men are strong. They've been with the Savior for three years. They stuck by his side. Even though they have heard one's going to betray him, one's going to deny, they're still there. They're still there. But sometimes spiritually strong men become weak. John Chrysostom, one of my heroes, he was a preacher back in the second century. He said, my fear is not that I fall. My fear is that I fall and not get up. Hey, we're all going to fail somewhere. The strongest man or woman in here will sometime fail. I have and you have. I will and you will. But the greatest fear we should have is not failing. It's not falling. It's hitting the ground and not getting up. 
And God has said, I will provide you a way. And not only that, look what Jesus says at the end of that verse. I've underlined it in my Bible. You're going to leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father's with me. You're going to leave me, but he won't. And guys, that is a promise that has resonated through the centuries to us as well. It's true for each of us. He, he says, I, I, you're going to desert me, but the Father never will. We have that same promise. Look at Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear because you're strong. What's it say? Do not fear. Read it with me. Do not fear for I am with you. The reason we can navigate life and go through difficult times in life and, and struggles in life and despair in life and, and dark times is because he is with us. Do not, do not look anxiously about you. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. He says, no matter what you go through, no matter how difficult the journey is in those school years, no matter how difficult it is in those retirement years, no matter how difficult it is in the years in between, I want you to know that I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Not only that, he says, when you pass through the water, Water, start swimming, right? When you pass through the waters, depend upon your own strength, depend on your own ability. No, when you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. Every step of the way, though the waters may, well, though, though the rivers, that, through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, because I am with you. And then Matthew 28, the great commission at the end, lo, I am with you sometimes, even to the end of the age. You know what the word always means? Guess. Always. In fact, he elaborates on Hebrews chapter 13, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever leave you. Some of you walked in here and you've gone through really difficult stuff. He says, I want you to know I'm next to you the whole way. There's great comfort knowing the Father's there. When Billy Joel, the musician's daughter, turned 21, he was on the West Coast in California. She was on the East Coast in college. He sent her an email, and it said, Celebrating this day with you. Sorry I can't be there on this really special day, but I sent you something really nice. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it'll arrive by FedEx, FedEx by late afternoon. Be looking for it. Open it as soon as you get it. Late that afternoon, the doorbell rang to her apartment. She went on the front porch and she saw this enormous gift with a big bow wrapped around it. She couldn't imagine what was in it. As she started open, tearing the paper apart and then opening the top off, Billy Joel jumped out of the box, her dad. <laughs> she writes, the greatest birthday I've ever had in my life because my dad was with me. That's what the Savior does. I'm never going to leave you desert you. I'm going to be with you always. He's not going to surprise us and jump out of a box because he's never going to leave us. The presence of the Father means a great thing to any of us. The presence of the Heavenly Father is an even greater thing because he has all power. And then he concludes this by talking about peace. He concludes this whole section by talking about peace. He talks about the desire for peace. Look at verse 33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. But then he goes on and says, in the world there's trouble. Would you agree with me in our world today there's a little bit of trouble? I mean, I don't know if you watched any news this week at all. We live, I, let's just look at our country. Let's not look outside that. There's a little trouble around here if you haven't noticed. I mean, there's a little bit of trouble around here. 
I don't care what side of the fence you're on. I don't care what, what nation, what television network you watch. I, I don't care who you vote for. We can all agree we're in trouble. I mean, we live in troubled times. Look at the front page of the paper today. It talks about crimes in Temple, Texas. Temple, Texas. Seven murders this year in Temple, Texas. Really? I mean, we live in troubled times. So in the world, there's trouble. But there's the contrast, take courage. How can we take courage in a troubled world? Because I have overcome the world. Some of you need to underline that three times, put stars next to it, circle it, and do it in red ink right now. Because you don't believe that. I meet more believers that fret about where the world is. I meet more believers that wring their hands and worry. I watch people that watch the news and get so mad. There's an off button on your remote. Use it. You don't have to watch it. You find your, your neck getting red and you're angry and you're screaming and want to throw your thing through the TV. Jesus says, I've overcome. I meet a lot of people who live their life as though Jesus hasn't overcome anything. Hadn't overcome anything. Pastor Gary, look at, the, look at what the world's come to. Let me let you in on a secret. You ready? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Read the end of the book. All hell's going to break loose here. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, none of them can cover it. It's going to be that bad. And yet we run around like chicken little. The sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I'm going to tell you this. Jesus has overcome, Jesus has overcome, Jesus has overcome. Amen? And so quit fretting, quit worrying, quit getting mad. A little light goes a long way in a dark place. And we have the light of the gospel. That's how we can have peace in the midst of a troubled world. Because Jesus, our Savior, has overcome. When I look at this, I think what this text is teaching us is that the risen Savior can turn sorrow to lasting joy if we look to him. He can take that deep sorrow you have today and he can turn it into lasting joy. He says here, nobody can take that joy from you if you look to him. In her book, my favorite author says this, she uses a story about what happens to kids when they fall, when they get hurt. So a toddler's running and falls and scrapes his knee, begins to scream and holler, right? And what happens? A mom or dad picks him up, picks him up, and it's what psychologists call they return to joy. How do they return to joy? Because a mom or a dad is there to pick him up and hug on him and love on him and care for him. Our Savior says this, hey, you're going to lament and be sorrowful for a while. But that's going to be gone. And joy will come because I'm alive. And the world's going to be jacked up and messed up and screwed up. And there's going to be trouble here. But you can be courageous and you can have peace in the midst of this jacked up, messed up, screwed up world. Because I've overcome. Do you believe that? If you do, quit living your life in worry and anxiety and anger and fear. Because Christ the Savior has overcome it all. Father, thank you.
Thank you that in Christ all this is possible. Apart from him, none of it happens. This morning, for some of us, needs to be a morning of confession. We focused upon the world and its messed up state rather than focusing on Christ, the overcomer. And right now you're angry, you're fretting, you're worrying, you're fearful. Would you drop that burden at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I want to be courageous and have peace because you have overcome sin and death. Because you are the overcomer, you are the victor, you are the conqueror. And because of that, even when I stare death in the face, I, have no, I don't have to fear. I fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Others of us, others of us are enjoying the fruit of a spiritual life right now like never before. We just thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that in you there is victory. Some of us are strong men and women who become weak. And we're falling prey to temptation over and over and over again. We can't give up the, the drink, the pill, the sex, whatever it is. We can't give it up. We know Christ. We know he's our Savior. But we live a life that is not modeling the life that he lived for us. Would you confess today? Just right where you said, you don't have to get up and move. Just right where you said, Lord Jesus, I want to be right before you. <coughs> because you've overcome. So Father, this day, this day we pray that as Christ is an overcomer, we'd be overcomers because of what he has done and because you have not left us alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.